Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Chez Vous, as they say in French. Uh, welcome to your place. And uh, as you can see behind me, it's a snowy day, and uh, we all decided to just stay home, stay safe, stay off the road. And uh, with the one wonders of modern technology, we can worship from where we are. So um, you can sing with me if you like. I can't hear you to know whether you're singing or not, but... Um, if you would like, you're more than welcome to join with me in singing our, our traditional opening song, which is Jesus Loves Me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong, they are weak but he Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. In French now. Oui, Jésus m'aime. Oui, Jésus. Oui, Jésus m'aime, la Bible me le dit. Blessed be God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and blessed be his kingdom, now and forevermore. Amen. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of your heart, of our hearts, by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Amen. Lord have mercy. So we're going to turn now to our worship time. And uh, unfortunately, I, I didn't figure out a way to put the, the words up on the screen. I thought about it, but uh, there wasn't a way to do that in a non-distracting way. So uh, you can either sing along if you know the words well, or just enjoy, uh, enjoy watching me sing the songs. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let us see. Beauty that made these hearts adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. So here I am to say that you're our God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to us. 
turn our attention now to the reading of scriptures, starting with Isaiah 62, 1 to 5. Because I love Zion, I will not keep still. Because my heart yearns for Jerusalem, I cannot remain silent. I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like a burning torch. The nations will see your righteousness. World leaders will be blinded by your glory. And you will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. The Lord will hold you in his hand for all to see, a splendid crown in the hand of God. Never again will be, you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Your children will commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem, just as a young man commits himself to his bride. Then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sing a new song to the Lord. This is Psalm 96. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth praise his name. Sing to the Lord. Sing a song to his name. 
Each day proclaims the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let all the nations tremble before him. Tell all the nations, the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy. Before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. John 2, 1-11 The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washings. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We can now turn to our passage for today, which is Philippians 2. We're going to actually back up a little bit to read some of Philippians 1 to get the context. Philippians 1.27 Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by, be by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So before we move to uh, to the sermon portion, let's. Uh, I'm just going to lead us in a time of prayer. Father, creator of heaven and earth, we just thank you for this snow day and uh, the snow that can billow around us. And thank you for um, the technology to communicate and also for our warm homes that we can uh, we can stay in. I just pray a blessing over this te- technology, Lord. It can go wrong so easily. Um, and I just pray that it wouldn't. And uh, I just pray that your spirit would be here among us as we're separate but united. And I pray that... Um, you would speak to us the things we need to hear. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. So I can see already that I'm having some people join that uh, are not from our normal church community, which I was kind of expecting. I imagine there's a lot of people home uh, due to snow days today. And so um, I was expecting this, and so I thought I'll give you guys a little bit of context so you know where we're coming from. We're working our way through the book of Philippians, and uh, if you would like to, you can uh, go to josiahmeyer.com, find my podcast, and you can listen to the previous sermons after this. Um, So we are on the third sermon in the book of Philippians. Uh, We've already looked at his introduction, and then we've looked at um, this interesting example that he has in uh, Philippians 1, and we're going to come to that uh, later today about these petty pastors, these people that were preaching the gospel, but not out of a good spirit. And then we have a section that was supposed to be today's sermon, uh, but due to cancellations and weather and everything, um, Nick was going to preach today, but then it got shuffled around. So we're going to preach two sermons out of order, uh, which might be a little bit less than ideal, uh, but we're going to skip over a chunk, Philippians 1, to 30, and then we're going to start, which was going to be my section in Philippians 2. So that being said, um, all of Philippians is one book and it holds together. So I need to back up and give us a little bit of context so we know what's happening here. Or else it's kind of like at a coffee shop walking past a table and hearing a few snippets of conversation and you don't know what's happening. You don't know the context. So Paul was a missionary. He was perhaps, um, well, he was one of the earliest missionaries of the Christian church. Jesus died and rose again in either AD 30 or 33. Paul's ministry was uh, in the 50s and 40s, 50s, and 60s, and he died in AD 63. Um, and he went out, sent by various churches uh, who, who paid for him to, uh, to travel. He also worked sometimes on, uh, to pay for his, uh, for his own keep. Uh, but often he received money so that he could do his work, uh, just as missionaries do today. And the Philippian church was a small church that wasn't terribly wealthy that often gave to his support. And it just so happens that somebody named Epaphroditus had just made his way out to Paul, where Paul was sitting in prison, not sure where. Paul was in prison at least three times, and more times for a shorter stint during his missionary uh, experience. 
And this man Epaphroditus got sick along the way, but he managed to get to Paul and he gave him the money that, that the church had entrusted to him. And then Paul wrote the book of Philippians to send it back to the church to assure them, Epaphroditus, you might have heard, got sick. Don't worry, he's fine. He's an awesome guy. Give him a high five for risking his life for me and, uh, and for the gospel. And also thanks a lot for the gift. And so Philippians is one of the the kindest, it is probably the kindest, the gentlest book uh, out of all the epistles that Paul writes. Because most of the time when Paul is writing to a church, it's because there's a problem. And so he gets around to, he, he's got his introduction, he's nice, he's, he, he lays out the theology, and then he gets to it. And he, he lays out what the problem is. The book of Philippians is a thank you letter, so he doesn't really hit hard that way. But there's something going on that he apparently has heard about. And he's moving his way slowly towards this issue. Uh, and we've seen this um, in the first two sermons we've, we've looked at. We've noticed how in his introduction, Paul, this is the only letter where Paul does not introduce himself as an apostle. Um, other than the, the letters to uh, Timothy. In most, of, most of the time when he's talking to a church, he says, look, I'm an apostle. You got to listen to me. But he doesn't do that. He leaves off his title. And he also adds a title to the people that he's that are receiving the letter to the overseers and deacons so he's he's lowering himself in status and he's lifting up other people in status so we just noticed that in the first sermon we also noticed that he pointed out how there's people that can preach the gospel but from a negative perspective from uh, selfish ambition from envy and strife and rivalry and he just kind of points that out and then he points out and there's also people that preach the gospel from a good spirit and kindness and we've noticed that he didn't really draw that home. He didn't, he didn't have a moral at the end of the story. He just said, look, there's two different ways of doing it. Both these people are on our team. But wouldn't it be nice to be the people that are preaching Christ out of love? So then in this section that we're going to skip, Paul talks about himself, that he is in um, a hard place because he would like to. He, he is under sentence of death. He could die. And he's not sure what to pray for. He would like to just go home and be with Jesus. But he says, you know what, it's more important for me to stay, preach the gospel, and help you guys. And so he puts their interests in, ahead of his own. And uh, Nick, is, Nick is going to talk with us about that next week. And then he transitions in verse 27, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. So over and over, this theme is coming up of unity. Unity. And how do we get unity? Focus on the gospel and loving humility. You know, having that sense of character. And he's coming at it from a number of different different directions, different angles. Uh, and we're really going to get to the meat of it today. What it means to have that, that sense of loving humility, putting others first. So our passage starts with, um, and I will tell you just where this is going. All the way almost at the end of the letter, in Philippians 2, verse 4, he finally says, after he has come at this from about five or six different angles, he says, I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So all was not well in paradise. Uh, th this was a good church. They were doing good things. They were small. They were generous. But Paul knew they had this conflict. And um, he's finding all sorts of tactful ways to present to them, look, focus on the gospel. 
and that's going to bring unity. And just take yourself less seriously and love others. Put others first, and this is going to help deal with the problem. So today we're going to really get to the heart of what it looks like to put others first. So Paul starts this with therefore, and whenever there's a therefore, you need to look for what it's there for, right? A little saying that they taught us in Bible school. The word therefore connects us with what came before, striving for the gospel. We're on the same team. We're fighting. We're going. We're a football team that's that's making the mad dash to try and get, get to the, the end zone. Therefore, because we're this way, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. So I'm just going to pause right there. First verse, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. And honestly, we're not going to unpack all of it. We're not going to unpack pretty much any of it. Um, what Paul is basically saying here, he's using a stylistic device to say, look, you got to listen to me. Listen, this is super serious. This is super serious. Like, if you have a heart, like, if you care, if Jesus has made a difference in your life, if the gospel is important, like, this is kind of the feeling that you're getting as you get this list of four things. And we could go in and we could have a, a whole sermon just on this verse, the consolation that is in Christ, um, the fellowship of the Spirit, the affection and compassion. But I want to zoom on because Paul is zooming on. He's just using this to kind of give him energy to build up. Wow, okay. Um, I will not be distracted by who's watching, even if it's somebody that is really cool. Um, He's building himself up to go where he wants to go. And where does he want to go? He wants to say, make my joy complete. So how can we make Paul's joy complete? This is a good question. And this is the first question I have on the handout. I, I put the handout in the comments underneath the uh, video. How can you make your pastor happy? And this is kind of an interesting season for me because I'm taking over for Matt for uh, our, our normal pastor for a few weeks, for two months. And he said, while you're taking over, you're the pastor. You're full on the pastor, not just uh, um, a replacement guy, not just pulpit supply, but you're, you know, care for the people, pray for them, you're the pastor. And it's interesting for me because I, Pastor Matt has always been on my heart. I see that he works hard. I see that he loves the people and I want to care for him. And I'm often sending him texts like, hey, Matt, like, how can we help you? How can we bless you? And he's often, he's always been kind of like, I'm fine. You know, I, I don't need anything. And, and you know, you guys know Matt. A lot of you know Matt. But now that I'm in this position, I realize the reason he didn't really know what to say is because if you want to make dad happy, then love your sister. If you want to make, make mom happy, love your brother. If you want to make your pastor happy, love the other people in your church. Have unity. Have fellowship. And Paul says this, make my joy complete. How can we make his joy complete? By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on more purpose. So here again, there's so much here that we could unpack. And I'm just going to skip over some of these things to say, Paul's talking about unity. If you want to make your pastor happy, if you want to make me happy, uh, love the people in the church well. Love people well. So let's back up now and see what does unity look like? How can we achieve unity? This is a really, really big question, right? How do we achieve unity? As Protestants, we have, I don't even know how many hundreds, perhaps thousands of different denominations and churches. And Jesus said in his last prayer in John 14, Father, that they may be one as we are one. And so how do we find that unity? How do we have 
that oneness. And even within a church community, how can we have unity? How can we have oneness? Paul says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He's saying, think the same thing, the same mind. Love about love the same thing, the same heart. Intent on one purpose. We're moving towards one thing. And we're moving there together in unity. Is there, are you feeling unity? Is this part of your Christian experience, that there is unity where you are? I would challenge you. Well, let me ask you this. Where is, where do you see unity? Like really honestly, really often. I'll tell you one place that I almost never see unity. It's in watching a sports game, right? Because by definition, unless it's, you know, an out-of-state or out-of-province game, usually there's two teams, and people don't agree on who should win. And if somebody scores, half the team is happy and half the team, half the spectators are happy, half the spectators are not happy, are booing and yelling. But you know where there's unity? On the team, there's unity. On the team, there might be a bunch of people that don't get along. On the team, there might be a lot of people that see things very differently. On the team, there might be a lot of people that, you know, come from all walks of life, all uh, nationalities, all different backgrounds. But when they're on the ice, when they're on the field, there's unity because they have one mission. They're thinking the same thing. They're loving the same thing. They're moving in the same direction. They're moving there together. Likewise, wars cause a lot of division and controversy. Should we be fighting this war? Which side should win? Who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? Is war even a good idea? This is, you know, not good, polite uh, supper table discussions because it can cause a lot of a lot of controversy but you know where there isn't division it's on the front lines when people are getting shot at when people are risking their lives when people are putting their neck out to protect somebody else there's a brotherhood there's fellowship and I can tell you just honestly from my own life back in 2007 2008 was a season of my life when I took a back seat I sat back from organized religion and I really saw a lot of problems with the church. I really saw, like, these people are messed up. They're hypocrites. Um, they're, they're not living up to the Great Commission. There's division everywhere. There's not a spirit of love. Look at all these problems. And you know what? A lot of those problems I saw were true. A lot of those problems I stand with today that those are things that ought to change. But you know what? Eventually, God challenged me. Well, what are you doing about it? If there's a mess, are you going to sit back and say, look, there's a mess? Or are you going to jump in, pick up a broom, and start cleaning it up? And you know what I found is that as I did that, and as I moved forward to help the church with her mission, what did I find? I found community. And I found that, lo and behold, these are the same things that other people see. These are the same things that other people want to work on. Because when we get on the same team, when we get on the same mission, we find unity. So this is what Paul says, Do nothing, or Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. If you want unity in a church, focus on the gospel. And focus on getting there together in unity. So, honest question. What about me? Like, what about me? Like, what, what about me, you know? 
What about my time? What about my ideas? What about my projects? What about the spotlight being on me for a change? You know, I'm just going to be honest here again. This is kind of a, an honest sermon, I guess. Um, but honestly, all of Philippians, I mean, it just hits me straight, straight here. I, I can't help not going to my own life because it's, it's so practical. Um, but honestly, I don't like group games. I don't, who's with me? Raise your hand. I don't like group projects. You know, back in, in high school when, or in college, the, these sorts of relay games that, are, are, that we do to try and build community. You know, I don't like getting out there. I don't like embarrassing myself. It's hard to get anything done in a group. We spend so much time trying to figure out who's the boss, whose feelings got hurt, whose ideas we're going to use, whose ideas we're not going to use. We never end up going with my ideas. There's just too much time spent on people and not enough time getting it done, right? This is, anybody with me? Can I get an amen? I don't like group projects. And if I'm going to be really honest, like really honest, I don't always like group conversations. Like, I am perfectly happy and comfortable within my own mind. I'm an introvert. I like to just sit and think. I don't get bored. I have interesting people in there. Um, everyone understands who I'm coming from as long as I you know, talk to the little voices in my head. Everyone thinks that I'm right. I always win my arguments. And I'm always talking about something that's interesting to me. Can I get an amen? You guys know what I'm talking about. But being a father has taught me that sometimes the family conversation is more important than my personal thoughts. Sometimes the family conversation is more important than my personal thoughts. And when I come to the supper table and I'm thinking about tomorrow's sermon or I'm thinking about, you know, sovereignty versus free will or I'm thinking about who knows what. And my two-year-old is saying, glati, glati, glat. And my, my wife is talking to me in French about something that's exciting to her and my kids are both talking about Minecraft and then my daughter is singing something um, to her dolly. That to me sounds like noise, but it's not. It's not noise to join the conversation. It's not noise to have a conversation as a group because it's in talking together that we are a family. It's in putting down the phones either literally or metaphorically putting it down, thinking less, not being focused on my own thoughts, joining the conversation, that we can be a family. And it's in family that God meets with us. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there will I be also. So I have a few things to challenge you with here. First of all, read Philippians along with us. You might say, well, it's hard to, to stick to one book. I already read it. I'm done. Now what? Well, read it again. Read it again. I, last week, uh, somebody came up to me after church and said, there's four of us that are memorizing the book of Philippians. Okay. Awesome. You know, and every week when, when a pastor stands up to preach, we're going to be on the same page together. We're a family. We're talking about the same thing. And if this is hard for you, it's hard for me too. Um, my wife will testify. Every single time that I have started working on a sermon for, for the book of Philippians, I have first started doing something else because I don't like being tied down. I don't like joining the conversation that's already happening. I want to have my own conversation. And even this morning, even though I confessed last week I had this problem, this morning I said, well, you know, Philippians 2 is kind of about the Trinity, and I've always wanted to preach about the Trinity, so let's springboard off into 
a sermon about the Trinity. And last night, God said, no, I'm not in that. Talk with your family. So I would encourage you, think the same thing with your church. Where are you going as a family? Join the conversation. And I would encourage you, and especially, I think we need to hear this as evangelicals, as Protestants, as those that believe in sola scriptura and the priesthood of all believers, and I believe in those things. But the conversation is more than two or three people gathered together. The conversation has been going on for 2,000 years and more than that. So read scriptures. It's not just about your own ideas. Enter into the story of people who have gone before. The saints, the sinners, the people who have struggled. Read their stories. Enter into it. Enter into church history. You might say, well, it's so huge. It's 2,000 years. How can I enter into that? We'll start with the creed. Start with the Apostles' Creed. Look at these doctrines that people fought so hard to figure out. This is our family history. This is our story. And our church has um, a catechism, which means out of all the books that are published in, in Anglicanism or by J.I. Packer or by all these people, this is the basics of what you need to know. And for our Bible study every week, I'll tell you it's no secret. We do the same, follow the same format every week. We just open up the, the book of catechism and we ask a question, we read the Bible verses, we discuss it, and then we read their answer. And we're on the same page and we're talking. And as much as the conversation might go in all sorts of interesting directions, we're talking together and we're coming back to our family story, our family um, history. So Paul continues, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. This word selfishness has to take us back to our sermon from last week, um, looking at these petty pastors who were narcissistic, immature, um, small-minded petty people who were preaching the gospel, but were preaching it out of envy out of strife, out of selfish ambition, and out of a malicious attempt to try and make Paul's day worse while he's in prison. Don't do that. Don't have that attitude of me first, of my world is most important. My ideas are most important. I need to push myself to the front. Don't do that. Rather, with humility of mind. Let's just pause right there because I think humility is this concept that is so hard for us to wrap our minds around. And what often happens, you know, you've heard sayings like, well, you know, so you, you fail, you mess up publicly, and you say, well, that was God humbling me. And that might be true. But we get this idea that humility means I need to feel bad about myself. And if that's our only definition of humility, it gets hard to know how to grow in humility. How do I grow in the sense of feeling bad about myself? And is that even a healthy thing? I might think, well, I'm really making progress in humility. Oh, really? Do you think so? Oh, shoot. No, I guess, I guess if I think I'm getting more humble, I'm actually getting less humble, which is going to make me feel really self-conscious and also feel like a failure. And pretty much we just kind of orbit into this very negative downward spiral of feeling bad about ourselves and being very inward focused, which doesn't feel like healthy. It doesn't feel like the direction that Jesus is pushing us.
I really appreciate what C.S. Lewis said. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's a thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That there can, humility is really talking about being other-centered. And that's what we're going to look at in this passage. And pride is really being inward-focused. And it's all about me. And there's two different sides to the coin of inward focus. There's super down on yourself or there's super arrogant. There's false humility and there's arrogance. So a really inward focused person is going to flip-flop between these two. Oh, I had such a terrible day. I'm such a terrible person. I hate myself. I just want to hit myself in the head. I just, ah. And then they do something good and they're super giddy, excited about how awesome they were. And then they, they, they crash and burn and then they flip-flop back and forth. And that is not where God wants you to go. That's how you end up being one of these petty pastors that we talked about last week that operates from envy, strife, selfish ambition, and malicious intent instead of operating from love, goodwill, and pure motives. So how do we get to that point of having, being motivated by love, goodwill, and pure motives? Paul's going to tell us. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. I want to back up and give you one more um, definition of humility. Romans 12.3 says, let, no one, let none of you think more highly of himself than he ought, but to think so as to have sound judgment. Let none of you think more highly of himself than he ought but think so as to have sound judgment. So this is not saying I am top of the world. I'm the most amazing guy when you're not. This is not saying I'm you know, a world famous tennis player when you're only passable at tennis. But this is also not saying oh, I'm such a terrible tennis player. I can't do anything. I'm terrible when you're decent. Just look at yourself honestly and say, where do I fit? Do I have some strengths? Do I have some weaknesses? Because when you know who you are and what you have, you know how you can join the mission. Because that's what it's about. It's not about you and your silly little pride, or me and my silly little pride. It's about getting the job done of telling people about Jesus. And so when you can honestly take stock, this is, these are my skills, these are my gifts, then you know, okay, bring it on. This is how God can use me. And I gave you a little homework assignment. I said, list four things that you're especially good at. You can do this on your own time, or you can pause it. And do it right now, whatever you want. So list four things that you're especially good at. And then take time to read Exodus 3 to 4. And that's when, Jesus, when Moses met God in the burning bush, that story. And then Matthew 25, 14 to 30, which is the parable of um, the talents, as it's well known. And uh, you can look at Romans 12, 3. So these verses are down in the, the comment below. And ask yourself... Has my attitude towards my gifts been one of sound judgment or one of disobedience? Because that's what it ultimately comes down for with Moses. Moses was kept saying, woe is me. I have no skills. I have no gifts. This is the person that wrote most of the Old Testament eventually. And that God inspired him to preach the whole book of Deuteronomy. That's one sermon that this guy preached. What are you talking about? You have no gifts. What do you mean you can't speak? And ultimately, his false humility came down to self-centeredness because he was not putting his mind on the things of God but on the things of men. That God had a mission for him and he had given him gifts for a reason. 
And hiding from his gifts was actually disobedience. As we can see also in the parable of the talents. So another honest question. What if I, sorry about that. What if I, in honest, sober judgment, I'm looking at myself, I'm not falsely humble, I'm not inflated with arrogance, but I'm looking at myself honestly and I say, I'm a pretty skilled person. And I'm looking at somebody else and I'm saying, they're not super skilled. How is it possible for me to consider someone else as more important than someone else? When honestly, we're trying to be honest here. Honestly, somebody else doesn't seem nearly as skilled as I am. And I'm sure, I hope, I hope I'm not the only one that has thought that. I'm sure that all of us have had a moment where you have honestly thought, look, I'm not, I'm not going to push myself down to, to have false humility, but in all honesty, I have more skills than so-and-so, so why should their views get pushed to the front? Why should their ideas be pushed to the front? Why should they have the spotlight instead of me? Why shouldn't I be doing that instead of them? Why should the group follow their lead instead of mine? Because after all, I'm more talented and gifted. Why should their world take precedence over mine? Well, if this is your honest heart, look to Jesus. And that's exactly where Paul brings us next. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. How? Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Do you think you're talented? Well, Jesus was God. He wins. Do you think that you have, you know, good status? Got some degrees, got some letters behind your name. You're older, perhaps. Wisdom, life experience. Jesus was equal with God. But he didn't cling to that. He didn't consider that something to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself. And he took on the form of a servant. What would it look like for you to take on the form of a servant in your context, in your workplace, in your family? For Jesus, it looked like putting on a towel, getting down on his hands and knees, and washing dirty, filthy feet. What does it look like for you? Do you need to change some diapers? Do you need to clean a toilet? Do you need to spend extra time helping somebody that's under you with their project? Or do you simply need to join the conversation, join the family, and recognize that your inner world, as beautiful as it is, is less important and will be enriched by joining the conversation? 
Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. God became man. Imagine that humility. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What would it mean for you to join the family? What part of your selfishness, what part of you would need to die if you were going to join the family? What do you need to give up? What do you need to lay aside so that you can join, so you can be part of the conversation? Is it time? Perhaps you don't have as much time for hobbies. Perhaps some of your skills in music, in hobbies, perhaps some of your career ambitions, you're not going to have time for them. What's it going to cost you to become part of the family? For Jesus, it took him to the cross. That's what he did to be part of the family because it was worth it for him. It was worth it for him to be the firstborn among many brethren. It was worth it for him to raise you up and say, I care what you think. I care about your participation in my gospel. I care about you telling people about me. I care about seeing your life transformed. And I'm going to lay down my life in service for you to lift you up. Let's pray. Father, as usual, your words are beyond us. And they challenge us and convict us. And Jesus said, be perfect as I am, as my heavenly Father is perfect. And how can we do that? We can't. And so we come, Lord, to your feet in humility, asking for forgiveness first. And secondly, asking, please search my heart and see if there's any untrue way in me. Please, Jesus, take out this heart of stone. Give me a heart of flesh. I want to care for others. But until I do, I want to serve them and live for them as you did. In Jesus' name, amen.
with each other we will work side by side and we'll guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride and they'll know we are christians by our love by our love yes they'll know we are christians by our love we will Let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Hear the word of God to all who, who all who truly turn to him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The peace of the Lord be always with you and with your spirit. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. That concludes our service for today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.